Tonight, I'm excited. Tonight, we get a chance to start a new series. It's always fun to start a new series. And this series is called Organic Faith. And I think that this is going to be a challenging series for us, but a good challenging. So we just celebrated our one-year anniversary last week, which is really cool, right? One year doing church portably here in Barberton. It's really fun. And, you know, we're still sort of building the foundation of our campus, right? And so this is a series that I think will really help us continue to build the foundation um, as we talk about our faith and the things that we believe. And so I think it's going to be a good, challenging, fun series to do together. Um, I want to start kind of our time off this way. So um, this past week, I was reading about um, organic eating and organic food. And so some people are like very into this, like it's very important to them um, what they eat and kind of where that food has come from. I'm actually not somebody who eats organically, but I can understand why some people really choose that lifestyle. And so I was reading this week just a bunch of stuff about organic eating and, and what it is and, you know, why it's important to some and what makes food organic and, you know, the, the regulations and stuff to do that. And so basically what drives people to eat this way, what drives people to eat organic is they want to get all of the added chemicals, all of the garbage out of the stuff that they're eating. Because the theory is we, we take in, you know, all these pesticides and all of stuff, we take it in and over time it kind of accumulates in our system and it can make us sick, it can make us unhealthy with sickness and diseases, right? So these are the things like like synthetic pesticides, you know, things that protect plants from invasive molds, predator insects, all that sort of stuff, diseases, things like food additives, you know, those chemicals that they use to process food, artificial sweeteners, preservatives, artificial coloring, all that sort of stuff. So the idea with organic eating is that you get all of the gunk out, right, like all of the garbage out, and you eat food naturally the way that our body needs it without all of the excess stuff, and and this is healthier. And so I was reading, um, it's interesting, in 2002, they started regulating organic food and like what it actually meant. The government stepped in, the USDA stepped in and said, these are the, the, the guidelines for food to be uh, certified organic. And so prior to that time, you can kind of stamp organic on whatever you want and you'd have no repercussions to it. Now it's like very stringent. This, so this is, flip to that next slide. This is the official logo. Just for your information, this is all new stuff to me, right? This is the official logo for something to be USDA organic. So to be USDA organic, it's got to be 95% or more organic. So it's got to be the USDA stringent guidelines on how food is grown, how it's handled, how it's processed. And it's interesting, some of the stuff I was reading, it's interesting how some companies try to be a little bit deceptive with this. So this is, it's tough. It's like, it's a lot of work that goes into making food USDA organic. And so some companies kind of use deceptive advertising. And so they'll use like similar words so people think they're organic. You know, so they use words like natural, all natural. Natural doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that it's organic. They use things like it's free range. It's it's hormone or uh, hormone free food, right? It doesn't mean that it's organic. It's just sort of these companies trying to get people that eat organic to eat their kind of food. So it's interesting. So organic food is an industry. I didn't know this. Organic food is an industry has been growing significantly and steadily over the past 25 years. So since 1990, so the last 25 years, it's grown an average of 20% a year 
every year as an industry. It's like super fast growing, despite the fact that it's pretty pricey. Like if you've ever shopped for organic food, it is, sometimes it's very, very pricey. Like you got to pay a high price for food that's not contaminated, I guess. And some people think that organic food tastes better than food that's not organic, right? They think that it kind of has a fuller, richer taste, although that's unproven, but it could be. But even if it is, if someone wants to eat organic, like you really got to stay away from some of the really, really good tasting stuff, like donuts, for example, right? I've shared about donuts, my addiction to donuts and a lot. You know, I actually had somebody, I unnamed, I will not throw them under the bus, that brought like a dozen and a half cream sticks Jubilee cream sticks to our grace group last week. I think he brought them straight from hell to tempt us with them. Right? Anyway, so this, all this stuff went organic. It got us thinking a little bit. Like so many people are trying to go organic in their eating. They're trying to get rid of all of the contaminants in their food so that what they eat is pure, is natural, and is exactly what their body needs. That's cool. But it got us thinking. Like, have we ever thought about trying to go organic in our faith? Have we ever thought about trying to go organic in our faith? Like, do you ever stop and think about what sort of diet you're on in your faith? Like, I realize it's, it's kind of a weird thought. Stay with me here. What kind of food are you taking in to nourish your spiritual life, to nourish your spiritual formation, to nourish your spiritual growth? And where's it coming from? You know, does it contain a lot of additives? Like our world is filled with additives that affect our faith. Is it filled with a lot of contaminants? Our world is filled with a lot of contaminants that affect our faith. Or is it pure and natural and uncontaminated? And just like, just like when we buy produce, I don't know what it's like when you buy produce. If I buy like a bag of grapes as soon as I get home, I'll stick my hand in and I'll grab some grapes and eat them. My wife like soaks them, you know, to get all of the gunk off of them. Like just like we would take food and we would soak it or we would clean, we would wash all of the gunk, all of the dirt off. Like do we, before consuming other people's perspectives, ideas, opinions, do we wash them off to get rid of some of the contamination? You tracking with me? Let me give you an example. So this week is interesting. I don't remember what I was searching for, but I was, I was searching online for something regarding Jesus. And one of the titles that came up caught my attention. So I was on Google. One of the titles that came up caught my attention. This is what it was. It was an article. This is the name of the article, the title of the article. Jesus's marriage to Mary the Magdalene is fact, not fiction. And I was like, what? Je- Jesus is married to Mary. And this is an article that was a year and a half old. I don't know, it just came up. It was a year and a half old from the Huffington Post. Huffington Post is an online newspaper. It's actually very popular, very kind of accepted, uh, reputable newspaper, right? And so this is on there, year and a half old. Jesus, it's fact, historical fact, not fiction. So I thought, what in the world? I didn't know this, right? Like, what, what do I do with this information? How has this gone on for the last year and a half, and it hasn't shaken up all of Christianity? I never learned this from any of my seminary professors, right? And so I thought, I maybe need to do a little bit more research on this. I maybe shouldn't just, even though, and then in the article, it was talking about how they were doing, I'm sure it happened because it was a year and a half ago, they were doing a documentary on this on the Discovery Channel, 
about how Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. So I got to do a little bit more research on this. So I Google a little bit more. And it doesn't take long for me to find various articles, one from the Washington Post that revealed that a lot of academics, archaeologists, theologians around the world thought that this author, the guy who wrote the article, and actually it was based on a book that he wrote and the documentary that he made, that all of these guys felt like their, uh, this guy's uh, conclusions and archaeology were pretty shoddy, right? And so the vast majority, what I found out, of scholars vehemently reject that author's conclusions, and they see him writing to make a name for himself, sell books, and make some money, right? Listen, if someone accepts, just kind of accepts, consumes what they see on the Discovery Channel or in the Huffington Post without washing it, right? I think about how that could affect their faith, right? Think about how that could affect their belief. Think about how that could affect their understanding of God and who he is. So there's all kinds of things out there for us that others offer us to consume. We're consumers, right? There's all kinds of things out there that others offer us to consume that shape what we believe, And some of those things are true, and some of those things aren't true. Some of the things out there that shape, potentially shape our faith are garbage. They're untruths. They're lies. They're misunderstandings. And so my question for us is, what are we consuming to shape our worldview, our our life philosophy? You choose the word, our faith. What are we using to shape our faith? Is it pure and natural and contaminant-free, organic? Or is it riddled with deceptive processing and additives and contaminants? You tracking with me? You tracking with the metaphor? So what I want to do in this series, and tonight we're just going to kind of intro the series, okay? I want to kind of get us all on the same page, and then each week we're going to build upon it, okay? Uh, What I want to do is um, kind of look at what we believe with our theology, our faith. What is our faith? Theology, probably heard, we've all probably heard that term. All theology means it's the study of God and his relation to the world. That's what theology is. Theology is the study of God and his relation to the world. And our theology, our faith is our beliefs about God and his relation to the world. And so just like uh, there's certain requirements and restrictions on food to make it organic, to make it certified organic, for Christians, there's really one requirement to make our faith organic. There's really one requirement. And that's that the foundation of our faith is the Bible. When the foundation of our faith is the Bible, it's organic. That's what makes our faith pure. That's what makes our faith contaminant-free. And it has over the last 2,000 years. See, here's one of the most important beliefs that we have here at Grace Church. We actually believe that this is God's truth to us. We believe that this is God's word to us. We believe that God has communicated to us who he is, and he's preserved it for the last 2,000 years, and it's actually trustworthy, it's true, and it's dependable for us to build our faith on. It amazes me when you think about this. Like this, the newest stuff in this book was written about 2,000 years ago, the newest stuff. The older stuff is much older than that, and yet it's still living and relevant in our lives today. Our culture is so different, 
but it's relevant to us and it's applicable to us in our lives. So you may be questioning, as you're listening to that, you may be questioning, like, why would you, why would you believe that? It's a, it's a book. It's an old, ancient book. Why would you base, put so much credence in that and base so much of your understanding of God on that? Well, listen, I'd encourage you. Next week, that's actually what we're going to dig into. Next week, that's the topic that we're going to spend our time digging into is the Bible and what we believe about the Bible, how we understand the Bible, why we feel like it's trustworthy, it's true, and it's dependable for us. I'd encourage you to come back. And then each week after that in this series, we're going to look at different topics and and what the Bible says about them, different foundational topics to our belief, what the Bible says about them, and just kind of dig into them. And so next week, we're going to talk about the Bible. The week after that, we're going to talk about about God, the one true God, how God has eternally existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amazing. The Trinity, right? The week after that, we're going to talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The week after that, we're going to talk about us, mankind, who we are, how God has made us, how we're wired right? And we're going to talk about salvation, how God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. The week after that, we're going to talk about the devil. We're going to talk about demons, stuff that freaks out a lot of people, things that we have a lot of misunderstanding on. We're going to dig into that. The week after that, we're going to talk about the end times, which is another thing that people have a lot of misunderstanding about. We're going to dig into and say, what does the Bible actually say about these things? And then all throughout this series, we're going to be asking a question that I think we should always be asking in church. We're going to ask the question, so what? So what? Because we dig into all of this stuff and understand theology, who God is and his relation to the world. We're not going to do it just to get stuff up here, to get information up here. We're not going to do it just to affect this right here, but we're going to do it to say, what difference does it make in my life? As we dig into this stuff, so what? How do I apply this to my life? How do I take this information about who God is and how he relates to the world and implement it into my life? So each week, we're going to be talking about that. Like, so what? What difference does it make in my life? So as we dig into this series, I want to I focus us. There's actually a verse in the Bible that I think is a foundational verse for us as we, as we kind of commence this study. And it's a verse that's written by a guy named Paul. So the Apostle Paul in the Bible is a guy that wrote most of the New Testament, actually, most of the letters in the New Testament. And he wrote, so this is a guy who went from, you know, hating Jesus and Christianity and wanting to kill Christians to being a guy who ended up helping thousands of people come to know and follow Jesus and ended up giving his life for his love for Jesus. This is the guy, right? And so Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament. He writes a couple letters to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was kind of his protege. Paul was Timothy's mentor. And Timothy was a young pastor in a city back then called Ephesus. And so Paul writes to him a couple different times. So we have two little letters in the New, in the New Testament called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And in those letters, Paul's talking to Timothy about how to live and how to love and how to lead these people people as their pastor. But then he tells Timothy this. This is what he says. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to throw it up on the screen. He says, Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. I'll read it again. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, 
Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So listen, this is important for us to understand what Paul means here and what he doesn't mean here. What he doesn't mean is that if you believe the right things and do the right things, you can save yourself. It's not what he's saying here. Like it all depends on you, Timothy, not screwing this up. That's not what Paul is saying here. What he is saying to Timothy is that, Timothy, make sure that you live your life and you have your beliefs about the gospel that you've based your life on, that they go hand in hand, right? And they're they're consistent with what you've been taught. And if you do, if you live your life that way and you continue on in these beliefs, trusting in the the life-transforming power of the gospel, if you do that, then not only will you save yourself, not only will you be saved, will you go to heaven, will you be with God for eternity, but you'll bring other people with you other people because of your life and your beliefs will become followers of Jesus and their eternity will be sealed forever. Guys, listen, Paul said this almost 2,000 years ago to a young pastor in Ephesus, but I still think it applies to us today and is so needed today. And it's not just for young pastors, but it's for all of us. Listen, as as we read this verse, apply it to your own heart. Let me, let me read it this way. Grace Church, as we look at our faith, as we look at our theology, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Why would we take seven, eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, and all of us get on the same page with what we believe? Like, why is that so important? Why wouldn't we just kind of do it along the way as we progress through a book of the Bible? Why would we take seven, eight weeks and do this together? Well, because how I live and what I believe about God and his relation to the world matters. It matters. It matters in my life, of course, right? Like what I do with Jesus is the most important thing about me to God. It's the most important thing. Of course, it matters to me. But how I live and what I believe has an incredible influence on others as well. Whether we admit it or not, whether we, whether we think it's true or not, how you live, your life, your beliefs deeply impact the people that you love. Your sons, your daughters, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you have the power, we have the power by the way that we live our lives and what we believe to affect other people's eternities forever. Think about that. Like, let that hit you for a second. You have the power by the way that you live your life and what you believe to affect other people's eternities forever. That is a crazy thought. Our lives are not just about us. Just like Timothy was deeply affecting people's lives 2,000 years ago by how he lived and what he believed, your life and your beliefs are influencing everyone that you love. So let's take time these next seven, eight weeks and wrestle with this stuff. And sometimes it'll feel like a wrestling match. Like as we dig in, sometimes it'll feel like we're wrestling with it. But to step back and understand what we believe 
and incorporate it into our lives so that when somebody comes and talks to us and they share their opinions with us, their perspectives with us, their heart with us, we can learn from them, right? Learn truth from them. But then also when we see untruth, we can help with their misunderstanding because we've thought about this and we understand what God says to us. Make sense? So um, I want to recommend a few books to you. Um, They're all by the same author, a guy that I really like. His name's Wayne Grudem. Throw those up on the screen if you would. Wayne Grudem. So he's a theologian who uh, is profound, in my opinion. He has very similar beliefs to us, very conservative evangelical beliefs. And so these are three different books. The one on the left is... uh, called Christian Beliefs. It's kind of the light version, okay? So it's like 150 pages-ish, something, something like that. And kind of it's for folks that maybe you're newer to thinking through theology, like what do we believe and why do we believe it? The middle one is kind of an in-depth version, okay? The one on the right is like super in-depth version. The one on the right is one that I used in three seminary classes when I was in, when I was in seminary. Really good. But here's what I like about him. So number, number one, his perspective on the Bible is the same as ours. Not every theologian is, but his perspective on the Bible, he looks at this and he says, this is God's word to us. And it's true, it's dependable, it's trustworthy. He also explains things in ways that, so I'm kind of simple-minded. He explained things ways that I understand, you know. And so when he uses big terms, he defines them. He just writes in a very understandable way. And he's also, this is very important to me, he's also very gracious uh, to others that have differing opinions, differing beliefs as him that are still biblical. So we'll, we'll, you'll see as we dig into this series, there's some things that the Bible is very clear on. There's some things that the Bible is not that clear on. And so you can be very biblical in your belief and you can come out in two different areas. And so he's very clear in what he believes, but he's also very gracious to people that have opposing viewpoints that are still biblical. Make sense? So I'd really encourage you, if you're somebody who is interested in theology, um, I'd encourage you to check out one of these books. If it's brand new to you, the book on the left is probably a great place to start. If you're ready to dig in a little bit deeper, then one of those two books on the right is excellent as well. So, so with my remaining time that I have left here tonight, I kind of want to set the stage for the coming weeks um, with two questions. I want to lead us through. I want to discuss two questions. The first one is, why should I study theology? Why should I study theology? Second one is, how do I study theology? Because that's really what we're going to do throughout this series. Like, why is it important? Why should I study it? And how do I do it? Like, what does that look like for me? What sort of posture do I take in that? So let's, let's kind of just jump right into the first one. The first one, we already basically said, like, why, why should I study theology? We already basically said for myself and for others, right? We looked at the First Timothy 4, 4 passage. The way that I live my life and what I believe, it will lead me to salvation and others as well. So there's this me component to it, and there's this others component to it. I am passionate about the others part of it. Like, why should I study theology? I want to be able to share with other people. I'm passionate about that because it's easy to forget that. The the culture, and I talk about this ad nauseum in here, the culture that we live in is very much me-focused, right? And it's very easy to forget that life is not just about me. You know, it's interesting. One of the last things that Jesus said before he ascended up into heaven, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, so one of the last things he said while he was on earth is this, he said to his disciples or around him, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. One of the last things that Jesus tells us to do, go make disciples and teach people about me. Teach people who I am, who God is, and how I relate to the world, right? And we cannot teach people unless we've thought about it ourselves. So important. It's not just about us, but it's about influencing in positive ways, showing truth to people that don't know, right? That's why our very first value is to help Jesus make sense. We have this responsibility to other people. That's a huge reason why I want us to dig into this together. But let me just quickly get into the, the part about myself. Like, what, is, what does it do for me? What am I really doing for myself as I study theology? Well, I can tell you, I've seen two things in my life that have been really profound. Like, as I've got a chance to dig in theologically and kind of try to understand who God is and his relation to the world, two things have really stuck out to me that God has done in my heart and continues to do in my heart. The first one, how do, or why do I study it for myself? It corrects my thinking. Why do I study theology? It corrects my thinking. We all have some sort of, of misunderstandings with God. You, would you agree with that? We all have some sorts of misunderstandings with God. I remember when I started seminary, so the very first classes I went to, I had like this crisis of faith because some of the things that I built my faith on as I was in these classes and I was reading some of this stuff for the first time, I was listening to these professors, I realized weren't true. I was, I was misunderstanding. I was basing some of my faith on a lie. And it shook me up. It shook me to the core. Let me give you an example. Here's one thing. Four Gospels, right? The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I thought, going into seminary, I thought that those four books were written by four different guys who were uh, four of Jesus' 12 disciples, 12 apostles, right? I thought these were four of them, and they had written their personal accounts, their personal experiences completely isolated from one another. That was what I thought. And I thought, man, if four different guys who were with Jesus personally through all of this stuff could separately write these four gospels, their account of all the stuff that Jesus did, man, how could that happen if that stuff didn't happen? How could that not be true if four different guys could do that independent of each other? That's what I thought. And they were all with Jesus. That's what I thought. Well, then I get to seminary. I think it was my first class. I get to seminary, and I find out they weren't all with Jesus personally. In fact, only two of them were Jesus' apostles, Matthew and John, right? Mark and Luke, Mark may have had some exposure to Jesus. Luke probably didn't have personal experience with Jesus. And I thought, oh, man, do I still believe this stuff? And then I found out that Matthew probably had the gospel of Mark to look at. You probably had seen that when he was writing his gospel. I thought, what, what do I base my faith on? You know, the stuff that I thought was true, that was like foundational for me to believe. Now I realize it's not true. I was shaken up. But what you come to understand, this is like when we study theology, 
It corrects our thinking. And so the lies that we base our faith on go away. And then we're, we, we create this firm foundation of truth that we can build our faith on. And so what I came to find out is that, well, yeah, two of those guys were with Jesus. So they had firsthand accounts. They saw all that stuff. One of the guys, Mark, he was with Peter. Like he kind of was Peter's writer. And so his gospel really was Peter's gospel. And Luke, well, Luke wasn't there, but Luke was with the apostle Paul. And he saw all the stuff that Paul did and that God did through him. And he interviewed tons and tons of people. And all of their letters were well circulated during that time when there were still people that were alive that could corroborate what they said or say, no, 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 that didn't happen, right? So I stepped back and, and in the end, I had, a, I had this crisis of faith, but in the end I stepped back and I go, okay, now it's firmer than it's ever been. And I trust in deeper ways than I've ever trusted before. So why do I study theology? Well, to correct my thinking. That's, that's really part of it. That's a, that's a big part of it. Second thing, it teaches me wisdom. It teaches me wisdom. Do you, do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom, I, I used to have this wrong in my mind. I, I used to think that wisdom is knowing the right thing to do. That's what I thought wisdom was. It's actually not what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and doing it. Wisdom involves action. So it's not just like this head knowledge of what's right and wrong. It's not knowledge. It's actually action. It's putting it into practice. And so studying the Bible and theology, it teaches me wisdom. It shows me what's most important in life, and it gives me the courage to pursue it. The Bible and theology is full of wisdom, even from a secular perspective, People that don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, they would look at Jesus, you've probably heard this before. Well, he was a great teacher. A lot of stuff that he taught was so profound, right? Like you can pick up the Bible, even if you didn't believe it, if you just followed what it said, there's so much wisdom in it. But when you actually believe it, it transforms our life. God transforms our life through the Bible. I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. Like, I want to be a guy who makes good choices, not just for myself, not just so that my life's good, because I want to lead my family well. I want to lead my friends well. I want to lead our church well, right? Studying the Bible and theology gives us a profound wisdom that we cannot find anywhere else. So it corrects our thinking and it teaches us wisdom. How about a second question? How do I study theology? I'm sorry, guys, my voice is terrible here. Let me take a sip. How do I study theology? <clears throat> Let me give you three things that uh, I think are very, very, very important for us as we jump into this series and we look at all of this stuff, all of these doctrines, all of these theologies about who God is and how he relates to our world. The first thing is that we study, how do I study theology? With humility. Guys, <clears throat> that is so, so important. Study theology with humility. If we're not careful, the more that we understand about God, the more that we understand about us, the more that we understand about the world, it can make us arrogant. It can make us arrogant. It can make us prideful. It can, it can puff us up, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. It, it can turn us into know-it-alls. Does anybody like a know-it-all in here? No, I don't either. No one likes a know-it-all, Right? If we're not careful, the more that we study, the more that we learn, we can accumulate information up here. We can accumulate knowledge up here. 
It may even begin to hit us here, but it's never fleshed out in our lives and we just get big heads through it. The truth is, I said this earlier, we all have parts of our theology, and this helps with our humility. We all have parts of our theology that we're wrong with. We all have parts that we go, listen, this is the Bible so clear with some things, right? Some things are crystal clear for us, and we stand very firm on those. Then there's other things that the Bible's not that clear on. And so we go, well, I understand. This is how I understand it. As I look at all the different passages, this is how I understand it. But I hold that with an open hand. You'll hear me say that throughout this series with some of the end times, for example. There's so much stuff about the end times in the Bible, and understanding exactly what that looks like can be really challenging. And so it's not totally clear for us. There's some things that are clear. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus wins. I know that. That part's clear, right? But how that plays out, I don't know. This is, as I look at all the passages, this is, this is how I best understand it. And other people that I respect, how they best understand it. But I hold it with an open hand. And I say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. All of us in our theology have issues. None of us has it down pat. And we got to be okay with that. Humility is so important for us. There's a pastor, um, I won't say who he is or where he pastors at, but he's very popular. He writes a lot. <clears throat> he uh, has a radio show. He's on TV. He's so smart. He's so sharp, very insightful, has so many good things to say, but I can't stand him. You know why? Because he's arrogant. He's arrogant. He comes across as arrogant. I said, I don't even want to have anything to do with him. I don't want to read his stuff. I can find out other solid insights to other people that are humble in their approach, Right? No one likes guys that are know-it-all. As we study this, as we study these things and we learn, we have to do it with a sense of humility. It's so important for us. Second thing is that we do it prayerfully. Guys, this is, this is like so obvious, but it's so easy to forget, you know? Like what is the whole purpose of studying theology? Like what is the whole purpose of, of like knowing what we believe? Well, it's to get to know God better and help other people get to know God better, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose. Why is it so challenging for us at times to let him in, to like talk to him in that process, to invite him into our learning? It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to neglect that. So as, as we go through this and we, and we come across something, and we go, man, I don't understand what that means. Why don't we go like this? God, I don't understand what that means. Help me understand what that means. Make it, make it clear to me. Instead of just going to each other and going, Peggy, I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? You know what I'm saying? God is available. When, when we go, I, got, I, I don't understand how to apply this to my life. Why don't we go like this? God, show me how to apply this to my life. I know this is important. How do I live this out? How do I make a difference with this in my life? When, when we think about something that like really strikes our heart and we think, man, my, my mom struggles with this, and, and I need to tell her about this, but I'm nervous how that's going to go. Why don't we just stop and go, God, I know my mom needs this. This has really struck my heart. God, would you open the door for me to just have a natural conversation with her about that? Right? It's so simple, guys, but it's so easy to neglect. How do we study theology? How do we study what we believe? Well, we do it with humility. We do it prayerfully. Last thing. I do it with my brain. (laughs) 
God doesn't expect us to check our brains at the door, right? Some people think that. To be, to be a Christian, I got to stop using my brain. It's all about faith. I just got to believe. It's just blind faith. No, it's not. That's not why we have ushers and greeters to stand at the door and say, welcome to Grace Church. Can I have your brain, please, right? That's not, that's not why they're there, guys. We don't abandon reason. We don't abandon logic as Christians. Just the opposite. God gave us those things to help us get to know him better. That's why, that's why he gave it to us, right? To help us get to know him better. I really believe that when, when we really understand what Christianity is, when we really understand our world, and when we really understand ourselves, human beings, the message of Christianity, the gospel, is what makes the absolute most sense. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have, have to have faith with some things. Like some things are unknown. Some things are mysterious. Some things are unexplainable. And we have to have faith in those things. But listen, any life philosophy, any religion, any worldview requires faith, right? Anything, no matter what it is. Let's talk about science, for example. Evolution. It takes a lot more faith, in my opinion, to believe in macro evolution, that we are all here today through chance and a lot of time than it does for me to believe that there is an intelligent designer creator who made us. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe the, lat- the latter than it does the former, right? So there's, there's still an element of faith, but every worldview, every religion requires faith. So we got to use our brains when we study the Bible, when we study theology, Right? So let me wrap up with, with just a few thoughts and a challenge. A few thoughts and a challenge. First thought, I think is going to be fun. Like I, I'm pretty excited about this. It's fun to get to know God better, to learn who he is. I think our view of who he is throughout the series is going to expand. And that's exciting. And that's a blast. When you get to know God better, it's fun. And I think it's going to create some excellent conversations among us and within our groups. I would, I'll say it again. I say this maybe every week. I encourage you to get into a grace group. Your grace groups are going to be digging into this stuff deeper. So the stuff that we kind of begin to uncover here in services, you're going to get a chance to interact with, with other people throughout the week. And it's a blast. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Second thing, so it's going to be fun. Second thing, keep in mind that not all theology is nice and neat and tidy and complete. Like, I will not do you the disservice of presenting to you, I got all of the answers, all you got to do is believe them, okay? The reality is, in theology, there's a lot of unknowns at times, too. There's a lot of nuance as well. Sometimes there's a little bit of a lack of clarity. Some things, say it again, are crystal clear, and we hold very, very strong to those things. Other things maybe not as clear, and we'll be honest about that, okay? You should know that going into this. So that's the second thing. Third thing, we're all at different points in our faith. I realize that, and that's cool. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some people in here who have Bible college degrees or seminary degrees. There's other people sitting in here that are going, listen, I'm not even sure that I believe this yet. Listen, it's okay. Right where you're at is fine. Wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, you don't have to feel pressure to be or act like somebody that you're not or be or act like you're in a place that you're not. You have the freedom to be right where you're at tonight. And all we're going to do in this series, this is my only goal for this series, is wherever we're at 
And I'll, I'll do my best to present it in a way that's challenging to all of us, no matter where we're at. But my whole goal is to ta- help us take the next step. Maybe you start, you're over here. I want to help you take the next step. Maybe you're back over here. I want to help us take the next step. And so as you sit here tonight, if you're like, I don't know, I mean, I'm here. I want to get to know this stuff better. That's awesome. I have no ulterior motives. None of us do. My only hope is to help you take those next steps because I believe this stuff with all my heart. I believe that it's true and it's changed my life and I want it to change your life as well. So last thing, challenge. I want to challenge you guys. And here's how I want to challenge you. I want to challenge, it's homework, okay? But I'm not going to grade it. There's no red pens, nothing like that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your life and think about what kind of faith diet you're on. Like, look at your life. And not, not, not food diet, but faith diet. And are you interested in having an organic faith? A faith that's based on the Bible, on what God says, and what are the things that, are in, that you're consuming that are influencing your life? And is it pure and true and natural and trustworthy? Or are there lots of contaminants and additives to it? So I challenge you this week, like think through that. Like what are you consuming that's shaping your faith? And are you interested, at least during this series, to having an organic faith? That's my challenge.